I just want to um, read to you our uh, scripture uh, passage for this morning. You can follow along. It's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along as I read. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. That was better. <laughs> well, how many of you have heard uh, portions of that passage read at a wedding ceremony that you've attended? Can I see your hands? Yeah. How many of you had something from 1 Corinthians 13 in your wedding ceremony? Yeah, lots and lots of us. Well, it is a classic passage in the New Testament on love, and we're going to be looking at the first few verses of it this morning. And you know, I got to thinking, if there's anything that our culture celebrates, perhaps above everything else, it's probably love. We write songs and books about love, we make movies about it, we sing about it. Just for fun this week in the office, we were trading, you know, corniest love song lines from, you know, the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s love songs. And, you know, there's some interesting ones out there. Country music in particular has some uh, interesting lines. This one from Conway Twitty just grabbed my heart. You're the reason our kids are so ugly. I mean, doesn't that just get you right here? <laughs> That's so heartwarming. Well, the Bible also celebrates love, although the kind of love it celebrates is a little different from what uh, Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn were singing about. You know, in our English language, we have basically one word for love, love. And uh, we routinely use that same word to describe how we feel about different things. We say, I love pizza, and I love the Buckeyes, and I love my kids, and I love my car, and I love God, and Hopefully we don't mean exactly the same thing when we say, I love pizza and I love God. Hopefully we love those two in different ways. 
But the New Testament was written in the Greek language, which was, was a much more precise language. And it had words for each of the shades of meaning and the varieties of expressions of love. Maybe you know this already. They had the word eros for erotic love, sexual love. They had the word phileo, Philadelphia, phileo for brotherly love. They had another word for a mother's tender love for her children. But the purest and highest of all of the Greek terms for love was agape. And you're probably familiar with that word, agape love. If you'll take the study outline out of your worship folder, you can follow along with us. There's a definition there of agape love, and it's interesting to note that it's, it's not defined in terms of feelings or emotions, like our culture so often uh, talks about. It's defined as this, self-sacrifice for another person that flows out of a desire for their highest good. Self-sacrifice for another that flows out of a desire for their highest good. And the Bible tells us over and over again that agape love was exhibited in its purest form by Jesus Christ himself when he sacrificed his own life as an atonement for our sins. It's also what his people have been called to, agape love each other. Now, you can't just work up agape love. You really can't. Maybe you've tried. You know, you can't just wake up on a Monday morning and grind out some agape that day. The Bible says agape is not a work of the flesh. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is agape. It is something that is produced in us by the Holy Spirit who indwells all the believers in Jesus Christ. It's produced in us by him as we yield the controls of our lives to the Holy Spirit and walk in daily, really minutely dependence upon him. He produces his love in us. Have you ever had that experience of loving someone or or maybe um, performing an act of kindness that was beyond what you normally do and you step back and go, whoa, that wasn't really me, that's not really me. Well, that was likely the Spirit of God producing the fruit of love in you and expressing it out through you to someone else. It's a beautiful thing. I want you to listen to how the Bible portrays this kind of love, agape love. I'm going to read some scriptures to you, but just just listen. 1 John 4, Dear friends, let us agape one another, for agape comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is agape love. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Paul wrote in Romans 5, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own agape love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good back to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to be repaid, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But I say, agape your enemies, love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. 
you know this verse. For God so agape the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. How great is the agape love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Paul wrote, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the agape love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We love because he first loved us. This is how we know what agape is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the agape love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or in tongue, but with actions and in truth. A new command I give you, agape one another. As I have loved you, so you must love, agape, love one another. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then from 1 Corinthians 13 that Pastor Claude read. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is agape, love. So here we are at the front end of a brand new year. And we find ourselves in this great love chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. By the way, it's a great time of year, if you have not done this yet, to jump into a small group. Many of our groups are going to be tracking along with us as we walk through 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 uh, these next couple of months. If you're not in a group yet, I would encourage you to get in one. And a way to start is just to come to a group that Pastor Jay leads. How many of you like Pastor Jay? He's a good good guy, isn't he? That's it? Where is Jay? Anyway, he's a great guy, and uh, you know you love him. But uh, he leads a group back here in the prayer room every Wednesday night called the Getting Connected Group. And if God's putting that in your heart to get connected in a small group, you can start there. and You'll kind of get an introduction to what the small group experience is all about, Wednesdays at 7. But this next month, we're going to be talking about love, agape love. You might recall that in... Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, he, for 12 chapters, has been attempting to correct a lot of problems, huh? a lot of issues, a lot of attitudes and behaviors that needed some adjustment. And one issue that was causing discord is, that the, way, is the way these church members were using their spiritual gifts in the body of believers there. It was a very gifted church, lots of gifted people. But there was a kind of showboating that was going on where people who possessed the more public gifts, the more spectacular gifts, the more platform gifts, were wanting to be noticed for what they were doing and what they were contributing to the life of the church. Those with those kinds of gifts were being honored and revered, and those who served more behind the scenes were being made to feel kind of inferior, like they didn't measure up. And sometimes they were secretly jealous of those that were getting all the attention and all the the applause. And so at the end of chapter 12, Paul basically says, Hey, you guys are seeking the showy gifts, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And in chapter 13, we discover that the more excellent way that he's referring to is the way of love, the way of agape. 
We're going to look at the first three verses this morning. And Paul's point in those three verses is very clear. It's this. Without love, we're nothing. That's his point. Exercising your spiritual gifts in self-serving ways without a desire to benefit others for their highest good amounts to a big, fat zero, and it does for me too. That's what he's saying. Listen again to how he begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver my body to be burned as a martyr, but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing. Now, when Paul wrote his letters that we have in the New Testament, he had a secretary who would he would dictate to, and that secretary would write them down. So you can just imagine Paul kind of pacing around in his room, and the Spirit of God is talking to him and giving him thoughts and words, and he's speaking, and the secretary is writing things down feverishly. And I have to believe that when he got to this section, that the secretary dropped his quill, and his jaw went to the floor, floor because this is so different. It's such a different feel and tone and style from the way Paul's been writing in the first 12 chapters. This is poetry. This is beautiful. This is beautiful in its cadence and stunning in its poignancy, such that it's often, as we noted, recited in wedding ceremonies here and all around the world. But notice the specifics of what Paul is saying. He starts out by saying, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Basically, he's saying tongue speaking without love is worthless. Now, this must have been a jolt to the Corinthians because they were so big on speaking in tongues. Everybody in that church wanted the miraculous gifts, the showy gifts, the ones that captured other people's attention and their admiration, and speaking in tongues was at the top of that list. Now, we're going to talk at length about speaking in tongues when we get to chapter 14. But just realize that this was a spiritual gift, a supernatural spiritual gift, that likely had several different ways that it was expressed through believers. No doubt it included a supernatural ability to speak a human language, a foreign human language that you had never gone to school to learn. It'd be like if you were you know, given the ability just in a moment to speak French in order to communicate with someone from that culture. The, the gift of tongues, the gift of languages, certainly includes that expression. That's what we see in Acts chapter 2. It's possible that another expression was a sort of personal Prayer language, a language unknown to any human being, which when expressed in prayer and praise caused believers to feel closer to God and to be edified in their own spirit. That's perhaps what Paul meant when he makes a reference here to the tongues of angels, an an angelic language of some sort. It's possible that that's an expression as well. But regardless of whatever expression of the gift of tongues Paul was referring to or had in mind, his point is clear. Without love, all of your speaking in tongues, all of your talk is just chatter. It's just noise. It's like Lucy's school teacher 
Wah, 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 wah. Remember that? That's what he's saying. Worthless produces nothing. He's saying, look, if all of your speaking in tongues is really just about you to draw attention to yourself, to enhance your own image, to make a name for yourself, rather than to benefit others, then it's worthless. In fact, he says it's, it's irritating. A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Annoying! To God, for sure, and probably to some other people as well. What matters most is love. And then he continues. If I have prophetic powers and don't have love, I'm nothing. So not only is tongue speaking without love worthless, but prophecy without love is nothing. And we're going to see in chapter 14 that the gift of prophecy, the spiritual gift of prophecy, was deemed by Paul to be the most important gift in terms of its benefit to the whole church, the whole body of Christ. Prophecy was also a speaking gift, and like the gift of tongues, it likely had several different expressions. We'll talk more in detail about those later. All prophetic expressions, though, included receiving revelation from God and then speaking revelation to people. That's prophecy. Paul is saying that it's possible to be a prophet or a preacher and speak great words from God but have no love. And we know that's true, don't we? I, um, I know of a pastor in town who recently made the decision to step away from his position, step away from his pulpit and preaching ministry, step away from his role as lead pastor in his church because, to his credit, he saw it, his heart was shriveling up. And the love that had once beat in his heart with compassion for people had dried up. And he saw it, and his wife saw it, and his elder team saw it, and his leadership team saw it, and they all came together. And he said, you know what? I need to back away from what... I've been involved in because my heart is not full of love anymore. And he enrolled in a program, basically Love 101, Ministry 101, going back to the basics, just learning how to love the individual person that God has placed in front of him. And, um, you know, when I heard that story, it, it struck me deep. and It made me ask myself, well, why do I do what I do? And what do you do? Or why do you do what you do for God? Why do you serve and give? I think it begs that question. We all need to examine our hearts. What is the condition of our hearts today? Does it beat with love for the people that God created? Well, Paul was adamant. He said, you know, having the gift of prophecy and being able to speak great words from God, if you don't have love in your heart, it amounts to nothing. It falls flat. It has no value. And now Paul gets on a roll. You ever get on a roll? He begins to exaggerate and use hyperbole to make his point even stronger. Verse 2, if I have prophetic powers, and if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so I can remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. Now, he's speaking hypothetically, isn't he? Because do you know anybody? Is there anybody on the planet who understands all mysteries and all knowledge? Who is not only smarter than a fifth grader, but understands everything there is to understand about mathematics and astronomy and biology and anthropology and all the ranges and fields of knowledge? There isn't any, no such person exists. 
But I think what he's saying is if such a person did exist with that, you know, that kind of mental capacity and understanding, and if they had no love, it doesn't matter. All of that knowledge, all of that accumulation of all of those facts amounts to nothing if you don't have love. And so comprehensive understanding and knowledge, even without love, amounts to nothing. Now, I should hasten to say that knowledge is not bad. Knowledge is essential to growing spiritually in your walk. But you know, it's possible to have knowledge without love. You know anybody like that? Huge mental capacity, lots of facts, lots of trivia packed in there, lots of knowledge, and then they let you know how much they know, and they come across as kind of a know-it-all. You know, Paul wrote once in 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It's possible to have knowledge without love and just be arrogant. And that's what Paul is speaking against. And I ask you this morning, if you are a person with knowledge, do you use your knowledge to beat people up or to build them up? Do you use your knowledge and your mental dexterity to, to back people into a corner and, and win arguments? Or do you use your knowledge to help people grow spiritually in their walk with Christ? You see, great understanding and deep knowledge, minus love, amounts to nothing. Nothing in the sight of God. And it's the same with faith. He writes, if I have all faith, so I could remove mountains. That's a lot of faith. And have not love, I'm nothing. I believe he's referring to the spiritual gift of faith. That's what he's talking about here. Now, all believers have saving faith in Jesus Christ, right? That's what believer means. You have faith. Faith that his work on the cross atoned for your sins, paid for your sins. All true believers have faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice for their sins. But God has given some believers an extra measure of faith that enables them to believe God for the impossible, the seemingly impossible, to move mountains through their faith-filled prayers. And they pray boldly because they have a track record with God. They have a history with God of answered prayers, God doing miraculous things, and they've been given the gift of faith. But Paul says, even if they have mountain-moving faith, if they don't have love, it amounts to nothing. And Paul is building here now. He's building a case. He's gaining steam. He's building intensity. The superlatives are flowing now. The secretary is writing feverishly. Love is the greatest. Love matters most. Nothing else matters if there isn't love. And then at the climax of his argument, he imagines the greatest acts of sacrifice that human beings could do. And he declares that even those acts, if they're not motivated by love, fall flat, lose their luster, and have no value. That's what he says in verse 3. If I give away all that I have, and the word connotes this, you know, dollar by dollar. I just dismantle my whole uh, net worth, you know, into dollar bills. And I'm just giving it away through the remainder of my life. If I give everything I have away, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I surrender my body to the flames, he might have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in mind there, the Hebrew 
guys who were willing to be burned in the flames for their faith. He said, even if I do that and have not love, I gain nothing. So even stunning acts of benevolence and even martyrdom without love amounts to nothing. Wow. And that's kind of troubling at first, isn't it, to read those things? Because didn't we say that agape love is self-sacrifice? How can giving away all that I have not be loving? How can surrendering my body to the flames be anything less than a final loving act on my part? But then when you stop and think about it, more deeply. You know it's true. You know it is possible, isn't it, to give away things out of self-interest? It's possible to give away of your resources in order to look good or feel good or enhance your image. It's possible to do that. So there is a certain kind of giving that isn't necessarily loving. And we certainly know, especially now after 9-11, that someone can hurdle their body into a building as a final act of martyrdom, and it have absolutely nothing to do at all with love. You see, true agape love is not just self-sacrifice. It is self-sacrifice that flows from a desire for the highest good of other people. That is agape love, and that comes from God. And so... To sum it all up, Paul, by implication, is saying this. When all of your speaking and all of your talking and all of your prophesying and all of your learning and all of your believing and all of your giving and all of your sacrifice flow out of a heart that has been pulverized by the love of God and transformed by his love so that you have the highest good of other people as your primary motive and goal, then that is agape love. That's love. That's the most excellent way to live. Now, I'm not sure if the Corinthians ever got this. But the more pertinent question for us is, do we get it? Do we, the people of new life, get how much love matters to God? I wonder, to what extent does the prominence of love and the the primacy of love and the priority of love, agape love, manifests itself among us, in my life, in your life, in our homes, in our marriages, with our kids, in our neighborhoods, with the people we work with, with our extended family. Some of you just spent a bunch of time over the holidays with your extended family. And it was revealed to you in your own heart how much your scope of love needs to be enlarged. How much you need Christ's love to flow out from you. In our ministering to each other, in our reaching out to lost people, in our getting into their boat, as Pastor Jay challenged us with last week, in our serving, in our giving, is it motivated by a genuine desire for the highest good of others? Is it agape? Well, each week when we come together during this series, I'm going to give us a memory verse, okay? Something, a a scripture verse that we can memorize together and say aloud. And we're going to start really easy. It's there at the bottom of your study outline. You see it? 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. (laughs) It doesn't get much easier than that. 
except maybe Jesus wept. (laughs) This is a verse of Scripture, and it's beautiful. Let's say it together aloud, can we? We love because he first loved us. One more time. We love because he first loved us. And it's the word agape. We agape others because God first agaped us. You know, it occurs to me that that's a condition for loving others is that you've received God's love. Until you receive God's love for yourself and are secure in that love, you will spend your life clawing and grasping and scraping to get other people to love you. Have you noticed that? But once you realize the the genuine, relentless, agape love of God for you and you receive that in Jesus Christ, then you're free to love. We love because He first loved us. We receive His love and then pass it on to others. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was taking a shower That's not to say that I only shower every couple weeks, more regularly than that. But um, as happens on occasion, I felt God talking to me in the shower. Maybe you have your place where you sense God talks to you. With me, it's often in the shower. And I wish there was a tablet thing that was waterproof that you could put in your shower, you know, and write things down. In fact, after last service, a guy came up to me and said, there is such a thing. So I'm going to check it out. But... I'm in the shower and I'm, you know, thinking through. I know where we're going with this series. We're talking about love in 1 Corinthians 13. And I just sensed the Lord reminding me about something from a couple years ago. You remember the Fireproof movie that came out about two years ago? Um, Great movie with Kirk Cameron in it about marriage and winning your spouse back. And, And we did kind of a campaign here to go along with that. And there was a companion book. Do you remember what it was called? The love dare. It was actually part of the movie and part of the husband's strategy in the movie to every day for a period of time do an act of love towards his wife to win her heart back to him and as an expression of God's love for her through him. And I just got to thinking about that and I felt like the Lord was impressing upon me, hey, you can, you can take that idea of the love dare, Steve, and, and refresh it and broaden it and you know so that it's not just for couples and romantic love, but that it applies to... Everybody, married or single. And I got to thinking about that and got out of the shower and wrote all this stuff down. And um, I, just, I just sense that the Lord wants us to, to do a season of love together. <laughs> Call it the 28-day love dare. Four weeks, 28 days, during the time we're in this series. 28 days of loving others like Jesus loves us. You say, well, that's just a season, you know. Is, is love supposed to be a season that you do for a month and then move on to something else? No, it's not. It's, it's to be a lifestyle, but I've noticed that sometimes a lifestyle starts with a season and is prompted by a season. And I got to thinking, what if everybody who calls New Life their church home, you know, what if a thousand people or whatever, you know, every day got up and said, Holy Spirit, I surrender the controls of my life to you today. I'm in dependence upon you today. Fill me with the love of Jesus and open my eyes to ways that I can spread that love to someone else today in a very practical way. What might happen? What might happen in our community if random acts of love and kindness were being 
performed every day all around the community in different settings by new lifers? What might happen in us? How might our hearts be enlarged and expanded with the agape love of God for people? And so I hereby present you, the beloved people of new life, with the 28-day love dare, a challenge to love others like Jesus loves us. It could be a beautiful thing. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is, what agape is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And you read that and say, I'm not quite there. Not ready to lay down my life for someone yet. And, and let's just admit, that's graduate level loving. Let's start out in like first and second grade loving, okay? And take baby steps. We're going to focus on five expressions of agape love. Serving, giving, forgiving, pursuing, and praying. Those are all expressions of love, aren't they? Selfless, sacrificial serving of others, putting their needs ahead of ours. Generous giving that is prompted by the gospel. Faith-filled forgiving. Forgive one another, the Bible says, as God in Christ forgave you. Patient, persistent pursuing of people that God has laid on our heart. Seeking them out, pursuing them patiently in relationship. And then persevering in passionate prayer. You say, how is prayer loving? Well, didn't Jesus say, love your enemies? And in the next phrase, he said, pray for them. That's how you love them. That's how you start loving them, is praying for them. Serving, giving, forgiving, pursuing, praying. What if all of us ask the Holy Spirit to produce his fruit of love, agape love in us, and express that every day in one of those ways? How cool could that be? There's a few elements of this that I like to challenge all of us with. One is we put a wall up. No, the wall's already up. We put a thing on the wall in the lobby, a love mosaic. It's actually a piece of corkboard, I think, with sticky notes and push pins where from week to week when you come in, you can write out and post acts of kindness and love both given and received. So God uses you to bless someone by giving them something perhaps during the week. You come in, you write that down on that sticky note, you post it on that wall so that someone else can come in and be spurred on towards love and good deeds in their own life, which is what we've been called to do. But also acts of love received. Maybe you're on the receiving end. That's pretty cool. The recipient of an act of love or a random act of kindness, and you were blessed by that, and you would write that down and post that as well, and to the point where after time, maybe it would become this mosaic of love, a testimony to what God is doing in us and through us. Love mosaic. And then I think prayer needs to be a part of this, don't you? Prayer. I got to thinking about that, and I thought, well, you know, we have a prayer room back here that, that can seat, basically the way it's configured, can seat nine people comfortably, semi-comfortably, nine people. What if nine people gathered each night to pray at 9 o'clock for an hour? Nine people at 9. Nine at 9. And there was a Monday night group, and then there was a Tuesday night group, and a Wednesday night group. So every day had a 
little battalion of people who were coming to pray for an hour. And maybe they knew each other, maybe they didn't. They would get to meet sitting in that little prayer circle and there on the table would be a prayer guide that would walk them through praying for our church, praying that God would fill us with his love, praying that those who need to forgive would forgive, praying that we would become a serving, giving, forgiving, pursuing, praying church. So there would be a prayer guide that you just walk through, very simple. I thought, let's let's do that. I did the math, you know, so how many people would that be? I mean, nine times seven is 63. So we need 63 people, nine a night, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And you would sign up and put your email on there and you would commit to praying that one hour for one night a week for four weeks. So maybe you'd say, I'll be your one of your Tuesday crew or one of your Thursday crew. And so some of the other... People in the other services have got a little head start on you, but there's some space left. Would you do that? There's got to be 63 people in our church, intercessors who would love to come and pray for an hour, read through some scripture and pray together and pray for one another. And then there's going to be seven daily love dares printed on the back of your sermon outline each week like there is this morning. You might want to turn that over. The love dare, here it is. Start Start easy. This is first and second grade kind of love. Seven of them each week. Just kind of prompts to get all of us to open our eyes and see the needs all around us that we can meet. And here's day one, which is today. We're going to call this day, day one. Meet a need. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to someone's need that you can meet today. It may happen before you get out of this building. It may happen. It probably will happen in the parking lot out here. A need that you can meet, and when the need presents itself, act. Meet the need without expecting anything in return, and then thank the Lord for using you to bless someone else. Pretty simple, act of love. And then there's one for each day and a little checkbox there. What would happen if all of us took this 28-day love dare seriously and committed to it and said, okay, Lord, you know, use me to love people in my world these next 28 days and in so doing, build this into my lifestyle. This is the way I begin to live my life. Not a work of the flesh, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that what the Lord began to talk to me about in the shower several weeks ago would manifest itself and become a reality in, in our lives. How many of you could stand a little bit of improvement in your loving of others? If you don't think that you do, ask somebody <laughs> around you in, in your family, and they might enlighten you a little bit on the need for that. Well, I'm going to ask you to commit to this. Commit to the 28-day love dare. Post acts of love given and received on that love mosaic wall. Come sign up for one of the nights come and pray for an hour, maybe even get to meet some new people and build some new relationships out of that. Do the love dares through 28 days, and let's see what God does in and through our lives. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the agape love that you showed us. While we were sinners, while we were in rebellion, while we were enemies of you, Lord, when you should have banished us for eternity, you sent your son to come and be punished for our sins. What 
amazing, otherworldly, foreign kind of love is this, that you would do that for us. I pray that we would become so saturated with the love of God, your love for us, that it would just seep out and spill over from our lives onto the lives of others. May we become a truly agape, loving church. Lord, use this little tool, this love dare that we've talked about this morning to expand our hearts of love for others, to open our eyes to the needs all around us. Lord, may we become excited and enthused when we see how you want to use us in spreading your love. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.